Welcome to the More Like Podcast with me, Jackie. This is a place for us to uncover our truth and learn from each other's similarities and figure out ways to celebrate what makes us different. Get ready to challenge yourself to see how things in life and the people who are in it are more like than you may think. I'm so happy you're here. Hi everybody, this episode is a little bit on the longer side, so we're just going to jump right in. This is the final episode in our four-week series all about the Enneagram. The first one episode was with Philola, where she kind of went all about um, the overall types of the Enneagram, and the last three we have been meeting with Vryn. She is so incredibly wonderful, and today we t- dive into the head types, types fives, six, and seven. And as I've been really enjoying setting these intentions, as you guys kind of jump into the episode, today's intention is to challenge yourself. Challenge your thinking when you are stuck in your head. Challenge yourself to get out of these negative feedback loops or positive feedback loops and just jump into the world and experience life as it's meant to be experienced. I hope you guys love today's episode. Um, I'm so happy you guys have joined me for this series and I can't wait to talk with you guys soon. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the More Alike podcast and if you are just tuning in this is your first time ever listening I have my friend Vryn on today. She is from Illuminate NYC on Instagram. We connected over there and she's been so gracious with her time because this is not her first episode or second. This is her third episode on the podcast as we are doing a deep dive on Enneagram and relationships. The last two episodes we focused on the heart center which are the types two, three, and four. That was in the first episode and then in the second episode we focused on the gut or instinctive center which is types eight, nine, and one and today we are wrapping up this wonderful, wonderful Enneagram series with the head center, types five, six, and seven. And if you're wondering like what are these numbers, they're out of chronological order, I have no idea, I would highly encourage you to go all the way back to my episode with Funlola, it is Enneagram Basics. She kind of goes over what the Enneagram is, which Vryn talks about in the episodes as well, but she kind of gives a quick and dirty brief overview about what the Enneagram is, how you can use it, how it's been beneficial in not only her personal life, but her professional life as well. So if you kind of want just like a brief overview of what this is, go back, listen to that episode, and then dive into these three with Vryn because I feel like we kind of get a deeper understanding of how we are or why we are the way we are and understanding maybe a little bit of a better picture of why people are the way they are and how we can coexist together, especially in the realm of relationships. So I just threw a lot at you, but Bryn, is there anything else you want to add as we kind of like wrap up this series or get started with the final episode? I was just sitting here in admiration of how you just <gasps> wrapped that up so well. So nothing to add. Let's dive in. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> you're so <laughs> you're so sweet. Um, I appreciate that. But um, yeah, so today we are talking about types five, six, and seven. And what we've kind of done, the format of the last two episodes, have really just been diving into what does each type bring to a relationship when they're at their healthiest, when they're at their best? What are some really 
really big, beautiful things that you can look out for, whether you're in friendship with this type, whether you're in partnership with this type, whether you're co-parenting, whether you're parenting a daughter, sister, brother, whatever it is, what they can bring to you and how they add value to your relationship. And then another big piece that I'm super interested is when we're not necessarily at our quote-unquote healthiest, whenever we're triggered, whenever we have this shadow side, which is language that's used a lot in the Enneagram, um, us as people, we are very multidimensional, we are very complex, and with all the goodness that comes with us, there is sometimes this darkness, and sometimes our greatest gift can also be our biggest weakness, and whenever we are feeling some type of way, for lack of better words, um, we are going to do anything that we possibly can to get that basic need that we need met in sometimes maladaptive ways. So though that's kind of what you can look forward to. Um, and then at the very end, we kind of tie in some mindfulness and how you can kind of be present towards the moment, um, towards your relationships, towards your families, towards your friends, and kind of just interweave that working into your life. I know that's a big passion that Brent has as well, but enough of me talking. Um, do you wanna just go ahead and get started and talk about the beautiful type five? Sure, so thanks for the intro. and. That was amazing. Um, diving into the Enneagram 5, also known as the investigator, I was mentioning to Jackie before we started recording that I'm always a little bit um, apprehensive about talking about the fives because they're such a unique type. Um, they're often also the most misunderstood type. And so I really hope that we can offer a holistic and helpful way of understanding these beautiful beings, as well as understanding how we can support them, because they can be misunderstood. And so as Jackie was mentioning about how we'll look into all of these head-centered types today, let's talk about how fives show up when they are at their very best. And so they are the most curious, incredibly insightful people that you will ever meet. And because they're so curious, in fact, you can think of the healthy fives as young children in terms of their curiosity. The world is just full of amazing, unexplored facets. And you see this in little kids. They'll just stare at a flower. They'll just stare at a little anthill for what seems like hours at end because they're just so fascinated by what they're seeing. And so similarly, fives are like that. And that is something that many of us who may not relate with this energy could really use a lot of because we don't necessarily bring that curiosity. We can very often assume things or else we can also miss the beauty that's honestly just staring us right in the face. And so Fives have this incredible, incredible, insatiable curiosity, I would say. And because of that, um, they're able to see the way the world in such amazing and new ways. And because of that, they are very natural innovators and inventors. And so often it's said that the technology that you're using, the phone that you're using, all of these things probably invented by a five, but this is the thing. And this is the difference with the five. For example, if we compare them to the three, that it's not about trying to seek out their value. They're just 
curious and want to know and go extremely in depth in their understanding and knowledge of something. And because of that, they end up discovering unbelievable things. Now, kind of going into the way that they can like benefit us. So that's kind of, they benefit us with knowledge or what are some, cause right now this kind of seems very um, focused on on them, I guess. So how, mm-hmm. how are they in relationship, in partnership um, when it comes to our sweet types, type fives? Yeah, so perhaps this might shed a little bit of um, light on this. So I was I was in a workshop, uh, an Enneagram workshop, and the facilitators were talking about um, somebody that they were trying to help understand their own type. And this woman had an epiphany moment all of a sudden when she realized that, oh my God, I think my husband is a five. And what she mentioned to the facilitators were, I I feel very often that he doesn't love me. Like, I don't really experience a sense of love from him. Like, he doesn't really say, I love you. He doesn't, words of affirmation, definitely not something this particular individual uses. But then she realized, she said, but in hearing you speak about the fives, I just had a moment where I realized he shows his love for me by asking me questions. And I feel like it's an interrogation. But what he's doing is he's saying, I'm interested in you that's the way in which I'm expressing my love for you. And so with fives, something to just watch out for when they're really interested in something, when something has captured their attention. And so in relationship, perhaps it's the other person. This is the way that they show love. Like, I want to know more, like, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And if the other person isn't perhaps aware of that, they may feel like, hey, hold on. Like, why are you giving me like fifth degree? You know, like, this isn't an inquisition. I feel like I'm being put on the stand, but that's not, that's not their motivation. Their motivation is I love you. And the way in which I'm going to express that is I want to know everything about you. I'm going to take all the data that I absolutely can about you, file it away and then transpose it or synthesize it in a way that makes me probably a better partner for you. Possible. Yeah, definitely. And also just being so aware now of oh so this is how you work got it like that is something that computes for me and it's interesting because sometimes also in relationships what people may find is that fives and again depending on level of health as with all of us all types um fives specifically when they're in the more average levels of health they prefer to observe rather than participate Right. And so you may see this in relationships, whether you're a five yourself or whether you are interacting with a five that that other person or yourself, you may feel that I'm getting a much better perspective being on the outside of this conversation, just kind of seeing and observing what's going on instead of actively participating in it. And that, again, may come off as seeming perhaps a little cold, uninterested, aloof, but that's not what the fives are internally thinking. They're just feeling that, hmm, this is a better vantage point. Let me just gather information in this way. How interesting. And kind of on the flip side, what are some ways that whenever our five partners or friends um, are kind of getting into that unhealthy level, what are some things that may be areas of growth for them to recognize perhaps? 
So areas of growth for the fives is to notice when your thinking takes you out of experiencing. Right. And so That's being, so good. <laughs> right. Being so much in the head, um, I'm just, it's almost like there's a lot of mental calculations that are taking place as opposed to active engagement and experiencing that's taking place. And, and this can take some time. So it's also important for others to give patience to the fives, just like we all need patience in our own individual growth, right? So the fives require that too. <clears throat> and also to understand that fives require space, perhaps more space than most of us. And so sometimes we may feel that this person just didn't tell me what they were going to do. They just took off. And to realize that, okay, this is the way that they work. And so being a support to the five to perhaps gently bring it to their attention. And if you are a person who resonates with the five energy, to recognize yourself, hang on, yes, I need my space. However, communicating that, even if it's by writing a note, so helpful because the other person can't, can't decode or understand what you're thinking. You need to communicate it to them. I feel like that's a thread through all of these types, especially in partnership, especially whenever we're feeling triggered or uncomfortable or having needs that are not being met and then we try to, to get them met in another way. Mm. Um, is, is that our partners, our friends, our parents, they, they can't read our mind as much as, as much as we want them to, as much as going back to that ball metaphor and analogy that I had from the last episode, as much as we want them to see the ball, the way that we're seeing them, see the situation, the way that we see it for them to just like sit on the other side and realize what we are looking at and understanding they're not just going to come over here on their own. You have to welcome and you have to invite them in and you have to show them. You have to tell them like, this is why I feel or why I see this situation the way I'm seeing it. And you might not ever see it that way, but you can at least validate the perspective I am seeing it from. So I feel like that's a beautiful thread of like so far all the types that we've seen is, is we have to find how we have to figure out our own way based on our type based on our personality, based on what feels right for us, on how to slip that note over and say, this is what I need from you right now, kind of bringing it back to what you were saying for the five. Totally, totally. And in fact, one of the things that the Enneagram really offers is that it gives us that language, right? So it gives us the language to understand ourselves, but then it also gives us a language by which to communicate to the other person. So this is a perfect kind of link to the other thing that you may recognize um, if you're in relationship with a five, and that is fives can sometimes come off, I should actually say, not even sometimes, very often can come off as seeing, being very unemotional, right? Even sometimes almost unavailable and emotionally speaking. And that is not like, and I can't stress this enough, fives have emotions and they have feelings just like all of us, even though they may not be so much in tune with it, and they may even try to distance themselves away from it, never think that they're not feeling and they're not as sensitive as we all are. 
they just don't know what to do with those emotions very often because it's so unpredictable. I was right? about to say, our emotions are one of those things you can never learn everything about them. You exactly. absolutely can't because how I am at 28 years old is and the way I feel and experience and see the world is is different than how I was at 24. Granted, my tunis probably is very intact from from that time and and um but the way I feel about certain things is different or even the way I handle my feelings, the way I experience them. Um, so I could imagine that feels very overwhelming for a five because it's constantly changing. It is. And remember, knowledge is what they're after, right? That is a constancy. And when you're bringing in something that is constantly changing and evolving, that makes it very hard to, to really learn and understand in a very consistent kind of way what's happening, right? And so when that's taking place, and this is <clears throat> excuse me, the um, coming back to that whole piece about language, instead of our default very often for most of us of becoming very emotional and bringing and throwing that emotionality on someone who might really resonate with the five energy, go back to what they understand better, which is more logic, which is being objective by using perhaps sentences such as when this occurs this is the process that comes up for me and this is the beauty of it right and that is for those of us who may become more emotional much more easily this is helpful <laughs> yeah that's right like oh, raising hands in the air. <laughs> i'm like type two over here <laughs> right so when that happens this is actually really good for us to practice because we need some of that objectivity. And guess what? This is also so helpful for the five because instead of just trying to almost like extricate themselves out of that situation, be like, okay, you finish, you know, like your emotional meltdown here and then come back to me when you're done. Instead, now you can actually engage them in a constructive conversation. You can kind of like move through it together as a partner. Exactly. Instead exactly. of them being like, mm, you deal with your stuff, come to me when you're ready and calm and able, which will probably get someone very upset. But yeah, I know yeah. having that language is so, so huge. And you said something, um, go back, like going back or bringing it to basics to way that that individual understands better. Yes. That makes me think of my sweet, sweet husband, who is a type six. We've worked, we've done a lot of work in that area of when we are having conversations or I'm frustrated or he's frustrated. That is a huge, huge piece, I feel. And I know I've said this, I think in the first episode that the Enneagram gave us, language to talk through our difficulties or talk through the bumps that we have but I'm learning how to do it in a way that makes sense for him and he's mm -hmm. learning how to do it in a way that makes sense for me and sometimes it kind of feels like if the top half of your body and the bottom half of your body are like twisting in opposite ways because it's not natural to me the way that he thinks and the way that he thinks is not natural or the way that I think is not natural to him um, but before we get into type six, I mean, I'm feeling like, again, selfish, like I'm like, Oh, I want to learn all about it. But is there anything else that you kind of want to mention about our fives outside of 
really trying to understand the way that they view the world, especially if you're in partnership with them, to bring them in to actively participate and actively engage them, whether it's in conversation and they're unhealthy, or whether it's in that they're in that observation mode trying to take in data, be like, you can also take in data when you participate too. That is another piece of data. Um, Is there anything else that you kind of want to to add on them? Yeah, uh, maybe this one last thing, and that is just also be aware that fives can really go down rabbit holes very quickly, right? And sometimes space and time cease to exist for them, as well as um, what is important and what is not important. Because the way in which they rate importance is their own interest and their own ability to learn more about something. That is what's important. It may not be the day-to-day sometimes of like, hey, we need to have bills getting, you know, we need these bills to be paid. Rather, they can go down, you know, and especially now with the internet that is so accessible at our fingertips, you know, they can spend the entire day like researching one very small, minute thing that, you know, started off as perhaps a necessity, you know, like, okay, well, this, um, this piece of furniture is, is broken. Like, let's, you know, like figure out how to fix it. And suddenly all of a sudden they come out at the end of the day and you're like, did you, were you able to fix it? And they're like, no, but I know everything to know about this particular type of bolt. And you're like, but <laughs> we needed the chair fixed. <laughs> and they're and, like, no, 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 we got the bolt. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like I know everything about this bolt. So you know, the day was a success. So sometimes, you know, recognizing this and, and realizing that, wow, okay, you know, different people have different priorities. And we'll see this with all of the types, but because knowledge is just so important for the fives, just realize that importance will always be placed on knowledge, as opposed to perhaps, and this, again, depending on level of health, um, maybe sometimes the more practical things that need to get done. And again, we keep going back to this and I feel like we're beating a dead horse, but um, this idea of health and and unhealth or less health, unhealth? Stress. Stress, yes, stress, is that the Enneagram gives us tangible signs in our behavior, in our motivations to recognize where we are with that bolt or that nail and the rubber band. So then we can pick that nail up and move towards health, which is my favorite thing. It really is such an introspective tool for me to be like, huh, am I helping this person because I want to help this person? Or am I helping this person because I feel that they don't love me? And I'm trying to gain that from them or I feel I upset them. So I'm trying to compensate over here versus is this really something I want to do because I want to do it um so if anything you guys take from this is is that is is we're not trying to harp on the negatives of these individuals or the shadow sides that the that we all have it's that these shadow sides tell us so much about why we are acting the way that we are acting and how to better ourselves better our friendships and better our relationships. So we hope that that's like a common thread that you guys feel throughout this because it just keeps coming up for me and it keeps feeling like something important for me to to have to say, if that makes sense. It is. And 
you know, I don't think it can be said enough, to be honest, because we can speak so much about motivations and we can speak so much about behavior and it is so, so important. But like John Riso and Russ Hudson um, have really brought this to the fore. All of that is actually secondary to truly, truly building our own levels of self-awareness. You know, these are all tools in order to do that. And if we don't use the tools properly and we just get caught up in them, then our why in terms of like, why, why should we be so interested in this? How is this actually helpful? It gets lost. It just becomes fun. It's fun and it's definitely helpful. But remember, all of this is to grow and to evolve in our own consciousness. Yeah, I love that. It's so good. And it, and it really is a transformative tool. It really has brought me someone who who I feel is naturally a curious person about how people work in the world and how I work in the world but for someone like my husband who this is not very natural to him to mm-hmm. to want to do this type of um soul seeking and understanding this has given him like a sense of understanding that I don't necessarily think he would have realized without it which is so so helpful it is incredible so okay should we get into the type six speaking of your husband I know speaking (laughs) of my husband (laughs) yes okay so let's talk about the six um also known as the loyalist so these are the incredibly committed responsible reliable thoughtful trustworthy types on the Enneagram. Without them in the world, um, kind of like the fives, we wouldn't have so many of like the incredible inventions and knowledge that we have today. We Things wouldn't get done, honestly, without the sixes. You know, they are like the support. They are the backbone of relationships, organizations, so many different things. And they are one of their gifts as well as one of their Um, more difficult sides perhaps that we may encounter is that they are so alert and they are such excellent troubleshooters. And we'll talk about how that's (laughs) such a gift and how that can be also really difficult um, because they they are naturally curious and they just have this inherent radar for seeing through the cracks, you know, seeing through the gaps, seeing what could fall through. And, um, yeah, like I have, I, I think about one of my friends very often, and I think of how much I owe him in terms of saving my life. Because very often, you know, we'll be in conversation and we'll be walking across the street, and I'm so caught up in the conversation, I'll just start walking, right? And, you know, my friend, you know, puts out his arm, is like, stop, there's a car coming, <laughs> you know, so alert. And I know it may seem like such a silly example, but it actually speaks volumes because it doesn't matter what's happening on high alert of everything that is going on. No, absolutely. I frequently, like, I don't think things through all the way. I am excited. I am. A, I feel like I'm an ideas person. I have, you know, this desire to move forward and I'm so excited. And then David will come and be like, well, but how? And I'm like, like, I haven't gotten there yet. I don't really know. Um, But But it's going to be happening and be excited with me. (laughs) Yeah. And he's always like, but how? And so he is so practical. 
and mm. I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but whenever we were getting Please. married and um, we were talking about our favorite things about each other to our priest, he asked, you know, I'm, he was writing his homily and he, he was just curious, like, what are some things that you love about each other? And, and the word that I think of when I think of my husband is that he's steadfast. He mm. is who he is with me. He is who he is with my parents. He is who he is with these friends. Like, he is just, you know what you're going to get. And he's just the same across the board. He's caring. He's loving. He is, like, diehard for his friends. But, like, there's no question. There's, like, no worry about how other people really view him. Like, I ask him, I'm like, do you worry about how people perceive you? And he's like, not really. Like, I am who I am. And people, we don't always have to get along. But I don't always have to like everybody. Very, like, matter of fact yeah. and confident in that. And it's, for me, it's, like, super attractive because it's not how, how really I am at all. Um, and I know, like, uh, yeah, so I, I just, I love that steadfastness. And so when you were saying those things, like, of him being reliable and, and steady, it's, like, 100% or the type sixes. That's Yeah, and, you know, when you were speaking, it, it just also came to mind, we've been giving kind of, like, the mantras for each of the centers, right? So for the heart center, as you're a inhabitant inhabitant of, um, you know, the mantra is, see me the way I want to be seen for the five, six and the sevens of the head center is what can I trust? Right? So, so different. It's not about like, hey, see me a certain way, you know, there, the preoccupation is very different. And so because the preoccupation is different, well, you know, if you if you turn that around, and, you know, he were to ask you, but do you worry about, you know, your decisions that that, you know, you have enough information that it's the right thing, you know, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm good, you know, <laughs> like, like, I don't never. think twice about it, <laughs> right? Whereas for him, if you were to ask, he'd probably be like, well, I've thought about it like for 18 hours and I'm still not sure. Um, it's, it's been a process for us, for yeah. me to allow him space to think things through. Or if like my gut response tells me, I think this is a decision we should move on sometimes I feel like I have to bring him along with that and mm. be like, just trust me, like whatever happens we, and using the language, trust me, we will be safe. Whether this goes to complete crap or we like completely do something so big, like I will be here. I won't leave you. We will be okay. And I feel like that's been super helpful for him to kind of that is action. <laughs> so powerful. That is so powerful. I, I really like, how you brought that in. I think that's such an important piece of all of this as we were speaking to language before, you know, with all of the types and just just a couple of minutes ago with the fives, right? Um, you know, talking about that trust piece because, you know, we hear for the sixes, you know, the basic fear is to be without support, right? And when you we use words such as safe, we're gonna be in this together, you know, whatever happens, I'm here. It speaks to that fear. And just like for all of us, when our fears are being seen and addressed in a way, again, that is not manipulative and that is not being um, in a tone of condescension, but genuinely, genuinely seeing it, understanding it, you know, with whatever understanding we can muster at, at that particular time in our life, because we may not completely understand you know, and there might be a part of us that's like rolling our eyes like, oh, my God, again, seriously. But 
to be able to put in ourselves into those shoes and to remind ourselves, well, that's probably how other people feel when my fear is not being addressed and I act out in certain ways. Remember, like, remember, this happens to you too, just because, you know, we may, may, we may look at somebody else and be like, oh my God, seriously, like the same is happening for us. So to, to offer that support and to, to give um, validation to the desire of, we are stable, we are being supported, do not worry, I am here, I am here, goes such a long way. I agree. Such a long way. So it's amazing. Like, and clearly, um, you know, the work that you both have done, um, you can benefit and you're experiencing the rewards of that because it takes time though. That's the thing, right? It takes time. It takes mutual effort and understanding to learn one another's languages. And I think too, I mean, just being fully transparent here and, and I hope for anybody that's listening, this is helpful because me and David are two very different types and, and I don't mean to just like talk about us in a selfish way, but I want you guys to know that like, it doesn't happen all the time. We don't, we don't, I don't always use that language and, but it's nice because he knows what he needs. And so sometimes he's like, he's like, Jackie, like, I just need you to tell me, like, we're okay. Like, I'm feeling scared right now. And that's huge. He's like, I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling scared because I don't know what's going to come next. And right. I just want to sit here and analyze and analyze. And it puts, he, he says it, he feels like he gets into analysis paralysis. Yep. And he's like, I just don't know. And he's like, and you're so not scared. And I'm like, no, I am super scared too. Um, but you know, we want to move forward. We that's a value of progress. Um, probably a type three value, but it's a value and, uh, for our family. And and so it's just helpful that whenever I'm not using the language he needs, he's able to then offer it to me. Like this is what I'm needing from you. Mm. So nice. So nice. And yeah, you know, and also let, let me also be perfectly transparent. You know, I think I mentioned before that both my husband and I are type threes and this isn't to say that, oh yeah, um, any relationship, like you mentioned, whether romantic or friendship or whatever it may be, um, it's easier when you're the same type or whether you're of different types being of the same type. Yes. In some ways it is easier, but it isn't to say that my husband needs to remind me like, hello, have this need, you have the same one, <laughs> you know, this is also important, you know, because it's amazing. We forget, we forget whether the, the person is built similarly or not, we forget. And so having those, uh, having the ability to have those open conversations and, and to offer space for vulnerability, um, because it takes a lot for somebody to say, hey, I'm scared right now, or I'm anxious right now. And to what to speak of, to have the language to articulate that, all of those are just signposts, in my opinion, that you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. You know, that like this is the path to health. Yeah. I and agree. strong relationships. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So I like hijacked this number. So we talked about their <laughs> motivation. <No. laughs> we talked about the benefits that they can bring. They're super reliable. They 
are always kind of like five steps. I feel like the six has a beautiful way of being fully present, but fully at the next step too. Like I never feel like my husband is not with me, but he is always thinking like when we are walking, I feel like our walks are like our sacred time. It's our best conversational time, but he's always like moving me in and outside. Like he doesn't want me on the side of the street where the cars are coming, but he just has a way of moving in and out of it, out of um, being aware and being present at the same time like he he's very good at that and so those are some things that they can bring to you bring to your relationship a sense of security like if you are with a six like they're a ride or die they will be there for you is what i'm hearing um and and they just have this way about them to to truly want to stay keep keep whatever you guys have friendship relationship like protected and safe and in this like really beautiful bubble so what are some things that and i kind of touched on it um with with david but um what are some things that you know kind of represent you know some stress in a type six and how can we help them yeah so one of the things that comes to mind immediately is that there can be a feeling sometimes of almost this this push pull that we can experience in relationships, right? Um, another way of that I think about it is it's it's not this, but it gives the energy of almost being a little wishy-washy. You know, it's like, I'm making a decision here. And then, you know, a few hours later, actually, no, I'm going in the like complete opposite direction. And then I go back and I fluctuate back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's very easy to get irritated and frustrated when we experience this kind of behavior, if we don't truly understand what's going on for our lovely sixes, you know, and that is that they're often unable to trust their own decision-making capacity and to trust their own inner guidance, right? And so that's why we can also very often see that they turn to processes and or people to help them. And so very often, um, many of the sixes in my life, they say, you know, not have a plan? What are you talking about? You know, they look at me like with this great incredulity, like, I, like I've grown another head. You know, it's like, how could you not have a plan? You know, I have friends who have a plan, you know, from the moment that they wake up all the way up to the moment that they go to sleep, you know, and this is the case unless they're on vacation, you know, and even then they may have a plan, right? And so it's amazing this... Um, and again, there's some beauty in that. Many of us other types could benefit with some of that planning. But to recognize that some of it can be this um, reliance and perhaps sometimes even over-reliance on these processes and to recognize that, well, why are they doing this? It's not because they're, they're crazy. It's because they're finding ways to manage anxiety and to to be able to cope with potential fears that are coming up for them. 100%. And if we have, um, of the two, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty planned person as well. Like it helps me move through the world. How we talked about, like, I'm not the, I love efficiency, but I'm not efficient at all, <laughs> at all, at all. But my husband is super efficient. And um, like this, this morning, he was like, I'm going to go do some overtime at work and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to make breakfast. Like that is his morning plan. And he always tells me if I don't have a plan, I feel like I 
have not accomplished anything because he's like I can just spend the whole day on the couch but that's like his plan it's where he's comfortable and so it's it's so interesting because if something if a wrench gets thrown in the plan or we have to pivot and adjust like oh my parents called they're actually coming through they're doing this he's like wait what like that was <laughs> not gonna happen today da, da, da. and I'm like it's okay we're gonna be okay but it, it is so interesting yeah, and, and that speaks to predictability, right? Because when you know something is predictable, immediately it reduces anxiety. But if something unpredictable comes up, well, now the very basis of, you know, the way that I cope is being shaken, right? And that's where sometimes in relationship you can experience pushback, right? It's like, well, no, no. That wasn't part of the plan, so we're going to continue with the plan, right? And again, this is this is where if somebody starts to develop greater awareness, moving up the levels of consciousness and in health, there's a way in which they'll be able to pivot. And if not, if, if it actually causes stress, then we can also see, um, just like with any other type, we start to dig our heels in and we say no. Like, there's no way we can disregard this process or disregard this plan right it, i will say it is always nice to have something to come back to because even if things have pivoted my husband is able to make a new plan <laughs> he's able to make so like, true he's like able to make a new plan and so it's it's really it is always helpful i know i had mentioned this before with my sister being a type nine um, she's one of the first people I call whenever I'm trying to parcel through like a problem. She's very good at seeing from multiple vantage points and then kind of figuring out what, what a good step is to take. David is also, he is this, he is one of the first people that I call if I have a problem because they take the emotionality out of a lot of things and he's able to just be like, this is the facts. These are the processes you want. You want C here, A and B. There you go. And you know what? They have a backup to the plan to their backup plan. So don't worry, they have a backup plan to their backup plan. Yeah. So that's so that's definitely one thing that you might experience with sixes or where sixes may themselves recognize and be like, oh yeah, that, that could be me. The other thing with sixes, which is really interesting is that um, speaking to, uh, depending on or looking to other people for guidance, there can be an interesting relationship with authority. And that is, and so sometimes we'll hear about this um, tendency to be phobic or counterphobic when it comes to sixes. And that is phobic sixes, meaning that I, I give in to fear almost, right? Um, what they may do is that they really look to and almost revere authority figures. And so this can be to their greatest benefit and sometimes to their detriment that like you mentioned before ride or die right and so i will follow this authority figure i will do whatever they say right so that's one way that some sixes may um, really look to keep that stability that they long for so much in their life the other way is that they may veer towards the counterphobic side and the counterphobic side is where especially with authority figures, I'm wary of them, right? And so we can see sixes sometimes can even sometimes feel like eights where they push back really strongly and there's this like really forceful energy and, and they can almost seem combative, right? And so 
very often sixes have, they lean towards one or the other, but they can have both of those experiences that lie within them. Because once again, it all boils down to trust. I think it, it just keeps speaking to we're so layered. There's mm-hmm. so many parts of how we experience the world. And it's all so interconnected. And, and as you keep talking about all of these things with all of these types, it just all really makes a lot of sense based on their fears, desires, motivations, health, levels of consciousness. Just all really makes a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. I love that. Is there anything yeah. else you want to add for our... our our, our wonderful type sixes before we move into the fun, fast type. Oh yeah. Yes. Our incredible sevens. So, um, one thing, especially early on in relationships, um, others may notice that with sixes, they may feel as though they're almost testing them. So (laughs) for those who may not, who are not seeing this on video as we're, as we're recording this on video, our lovely Jackie just rolled her eyes. So, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes, um, this testing, um, experience can be, um, really jarring or almost frustrating for individuals and, and to recognize that, especially early on what sixes are looking for and they, one, they may be unconscious to it, or two, you know, they're not in the habit of going around and making themselves vulnerable. They're wanting to assess that they're putting their trust in the right people. And that is why they're testing. And so sometimes, as you mentioned, Jackie, what they just really need is reassurance. And even though it may feel frustrating in the beginning to know that after some time, you know, once they give their loyalty, they have given their loyalty that this testing is not going to continue forever. And that if you can live up to your word, because that is some, that is a huge place, you know, and um, measure by which sixes look to see if, if they are placing their trust in a, in a safe place. Um, if you can really keep to your word and when you can't to just be real, to be honest and to admit it and to just say, Hey, I said I was going to do this. I wasn't able to do it. I'm so sorry. You know, and something that I'm really learning, you know, to be able to get ahead of it. So instead of the six bringing it up instead to actually just say it out loud, you have no idea how much, how many points almost, so to speak, you have earned in the sixes bucket. Because they realize that, okay, they owned up to it at least. And that's so important. Yeah, I I didn't mention this before, but I feel like with the sixes I know, because I have a really, really great friend um, who is a six. She was my co-teacher, not last year, but the year before. And the way her and David see the world are very, very similar. And I will say that a lot of sixes I meet are also just great judges of character. Um, from the very, very beginning. They're always skeptical at first. It takes some time definitely to warm up, but I do feel like they have this um, radar of intention of other people. Like they have this like superpower almost to be able to kind of see people for who they really are, which I think is something that they don't realize. They're very intuitive in that way, maybe for another reason, but to my experience, the two sixes that I know and love very deeply are very, very, very good at that, um, at that piece of it as well. Beautiful. And if you don't mind, one last thing on the sixes, because I mentioned this before and I forgot to come back to it. And that is, we were speaking about, 
troubleshooting and alertness, right? So sometimes it may seem like the sixes are raining on your parade. Please know that is not their intention. They just really want to make sure that you have thought through everything and every possibility. So please keep that in mind. They are not trying to rain on your parade. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then last, for real last thing, I want to just also say about David, whenever we were discerning to be married, um, one of the big pieces we were talking and we were sharing, you know, what were what were some markers or some things that we thought maybe we could, could do this for, for our lifetime. And he told me um, the way that we handle conflict <laughs> is was a key indicator of, of how we were going to be able to handle conflict in the future. And, um, now like learning all this about, that's like a super, super sick answer. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah. So they're always thinking 10 steps ahead or in our case, a lifetime Always prepared. They really embody the always be prepared, you know, Boy Scouts motto. Yes, perfect. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into our super fun sevens. Super fun sevens. Also misunderstood. I know we say this probably about every type. Yeah. But our sweet sevens. And, you know, you use the word fun and boy, do the sevens love to have fun and use the word fun. They pepper their conversations even with the word fun. Um, They are spontaneous. They are vivacious. They're so optimistic, extroverted, playful in many ways, you know, um, they they embody so many of these positive characteristics that it can sometimes even feel like, well, do they have a shadow side almost? Um, and we'll go into that. Some of the things that I personally, um, you know, over the years have learned about the sevens that that always remind me of, wow, going to what you were just saying of being misunderstood. They're some of the smartest people you'll ever meet. And and we'll speak to this more a little bit later on. And it's funny because at times they may almost come off as seemingly flaky, but it's incredibly important to understand they are so smart, so, so smart. And they can also be extremely practical. And those are sides to the sevens that we don't necessarily talk about so often. You know, we think about the fun, we think about the adventure, but they're actually very, very intelligent. They're very keen. They're very observant. And at their healthiest, they have an incredible, incredible ability to live and embrace the moment. You know, and so, of course, um, as, as, as they become more stressed out, we, we start to see the sevens that we experience, um, the behavior of the sevens that we experience more often. But this is just to remind people that they, they, at health, they are incredible, just like every other type. Yeah, I think that is such a great introduction. And my mom is a seven. Um, yeah, I, when we, we found out or as we were kind of reading things through it, it evoked a lot. Um, you know, she has this ability to not only see the glass half full but see the glass literally overflowing and it when we were talking about enneagram together she was just like 
nobody had ever really realized that she does that as a need to because it's so hard when the glass is not overflowing the paint like it, it's just really hard to cope with any other type of emotion that isn't this overflow but yeah she is so smart so keen so observant so fun definitely the type of person that you can call and be like let's go and do this and she's like i'm there don't worry what are some things outside of that the fun and the joy and these this way of moving through the world that she can bring that sevens can bring to relationships what what else so one of the things um that is important to remember about the sevens just piggybacking off of um and thank you so much for sharing about your mom you know um that for the sevens um one of the things that they fear the most is not just pain but deprivation they fear deprivation that it's nothing is ever enough. And that's why you will see that sevens are kind of like, almost like an electron bouncing off the walls, like they're just so full of energy. And that energy is almost a way to kind of outrun any negative emotions, or outrun any feeling that I'm not full, I'm not complete. And so what happens with the sevens and it, you know, when I first learned about the Enneagram, it was interesting because I really wondered how are sevens a head-centered type? Because they're just, they're so about experiences. Like I'm not seeing like the thinking that like, like that logical, you know, mind-centered piece. And the way in which they um, experience the world is that they are constantly in their heads because they're already anticipating what an experience will be like. And because they're in an anticipatory framework or anticipatory state, what happens is it's actually very difficult for them to be in the moment when they're experiencing something, right? So when they're in the moment, for example, they go to the opera or whatever, um, rather than being fully present there and to kind of really churn the depths of what is taking place right now, which is what the fours do, what they're doing is they're already thinking, and after the opera, I'm gonna go to this amazing restaurant that I just found out about. They're, auction they're actually thinking ahead. And because of that, it actually prevents them, sadly, from truly experiencing what is happening now. The thing that they're desiring most- Yes. Is, is never attainable because they're always seeking seeking what's the next activity that's going to then like fill them up. Exactly. It's so, so fascinating. Focused. It's so future focused. And that is why they are in the head center types because it's always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. That's right. So and interesting. because of that, what happens is that they really do sometimes feel a sense of deprivation. And the deprivation is that I was looking to really experience something in this moment and I'm not getting that experience. And to add to this, what's so fascinating is that when they're thinking about an experience or the next thing, they're already tasting it. They're tasting it in their mind though, as opposed to actually having a sensory experience in their body. And because they're tasting it in their mind, this is what the mind does. It always makes it almost unattainable to experience in the present. It, it lifts the expectation so out of the realm of what is possible to experience that it never feels quite good enough when you actually experience it in real life. 
That is wild. I feel like this is such a deep, deep look into, into our sevens, you know? Yeah. And, and to, to recognize, because sometimes sevens are kind of like bouncing off the walls and you're like, oh my God, like, don't you take life seriously? This is, this is what's going on. Yeah. You know, and if we're not aware of it, what happens is like we mislabel them as, you know, perhaps ungrounded or shallow when that's not the case. I definitely, you know, yesterday there was this thing that came up. I had gotten an email and I was like, you know what, let me call my mom. She typically has some also good, some pretty, really good insight. She's kind of good at being like, eh, I don't know about this opportunity, but more often than not, if there's like, if it's a big, scary thing, she's always like, do it, do it. It's going <laughs> to afford you so much opportunity. Do it, do it, do it. And that's exactly how she was. Um, whereas it, it's just, she's, it's, she's wonderful. It's just very interesting to kind of understand a little bit more the inner workings. Um, so what are some things that we can kind of help or recognize whenever our sevens are, are not in the best health health or they're leaning more into stress? Mm, so for the sevens, um, something important for them to recognize and also as you know, people who are looking outside from the sevens to recognize that they can very easily experience FOMO, fear of missing out. And because of that, what can happen is that they try to like cram everything in, you know, like the example is very often given of, you know, they go to an ice cream store and like there's six, like three new flavors and it's too difficult to decide, you know, which of the flavors to get. So they get all of them, you know, so there can be this tendency towards excess, right? Um, shopping, very, very easy for the sevens to indulge in. My teachers, um, often use this phrase that when, um, when the going gets tough, the tough go shopping, you know, like this can be very easy for the sevens. And many times sevens will say that if you ask them, you know, oh, you just bought like six new pairs of shoes and like five new sweaters, like, are you excited to get them? The excitement is in getting the boxes. Very often they don't, they may not even wear what they get, you know, because the thrill of it has died. Right. And it speaks again to the anticipatory nature. And so tied in with that, tied in with FOMO, um, not all sevens. And I think, again, this is really, really important to state because there, there is a stereotype around sevens on this. Um, again, I hate to, you know, just keep repeating myself really depends on level of health, but it is common. It's common for sevens to find it difficult to commit, you know, especially in relationships. Um, and the reason for that is FOMO, right? I'm not sure what if something else is there? What if something else is there? And if I commit, then I may never be able to experience that, right? Um, but that's not always the case. I know several sevens who are in a very committed relationship. So it's important to know that if all of this is worked out, you know, internally for the sevens, they can make some of the best partners because they have this adventurous free loving spirit, you know, also another thing in relationships, really important, especially if you are in a relationship with a seven and you are more of um, one of the more introverted types, like the nines, the fours or the fives. And that is sevens have so much energy and they're constantly on the run. Important to just ha have open conversations, you know, and negotiations in terms of, I know you really want to do this. I need some time. I still love you. You please go out and have your fun and I'll be here when you come back. And for the sevens to also recognize that 
not everyone will be able to keep up with them. Really, really important. Yeah, my my dad is a three and my mom's a seven and it's a really good pairing. And and I think my mom frequently says that, you know, because my dad calls my mom the Energizer Bunny. (laughs) Uh, And um, my, you know, I think my mom never feels in deprivation with my dad. It's really, really interesting. It's one of the only spaces or experience in her life where she feels completely satiated. Um, And it's really, really beautiful to see because it's definitely like a safe, he is definitely like a safe place for her to retreat and to go to and rest in. It's really, really interesting. So I think it's capable, we're capable, all of us are capable of finding that, that home in a partner. If that is what you, if that is what you so wish to do, some people don't, don't want to be in partnership lifelong, which that is absolutely okay. But even in friendships, you can always find, find a home with someone. Exactly. Exactly. And perhaps the last thing I'll leave us with, with the sevens is that um, important for sevens to really allow themselves to stay with negative emotions. It's so easy um, to try to outrun them, but to just allow yourself to feel. And um, a beautiful example is given um, that my Enneagram teachers speak about. And that is, um, they say how if you want to get a rainbow, you need to have both the light and you need to have the rain. You know, you need to have the positive and you need to have the negative. And so both of those things are required in order to have, um, you know, a really holistic, meaningful life that is based off of processing and and obtaining realizations through experiences. Um, and when we don't process and actually learn and and imbibe those realizations, things are superficial. And you're gonna constantly be on that loop of trying to seek what's gonna fill, fill, fill you up when you really have to look inward and deal with some some things um, to allow you some space to hold, hold all that joy that you so, so deeply want. Exactly. I love that. Okay, so we talked about our type five, sixes, and sevens. We wrapped it up with our head center. I know that we are, we are, I'm taking up so much of your time, but I did have a couple of like last questions um, for you. So can we briefly just touch on wings? Like you can just do like a quick and dirty, just if people are like, I'm super interested in this, they can obviously book a call with you, kind of talk a little bit more about that. But this is kind of like another layer. Once you've realized your primary energy type, you kind of have a potential wing to lead, lean towards. And and I think that this gets easily misconstrued and confused, which is why I want to touch on it. Um, so yeah. maybe in like a concise way, what are what are wings? How are they beneficial to us? What do, What do you think about them? Yeah, yeah. Um, So with the wings, so these are the energies. And um, to make it very concrete, if you look at the Enneagram diagram, you will see all of the nine types with nine at the top and then going clockwise, it goes one, two, three, four, five, all the way up back again to eight and then nine. Um, So it the wings are those energies that are directly next to your type. So we'll give a couple of examples. So if you are feeling that you are leaning towards thinking you are a three, then you would either have a two or a four wing. It is not possible for you to have a nine wing, 
you know, so there are the energies directly adjacent to your types. For the nine, for example, you will either, if you think you're a nine, you will either have an eight wing or a one wing, right? And so these are complementary um, or sometimes very different energies to what your primary energy or lens by which, you know, your ego sees the world through. Um, brings. And this also can really explain as to extroversion and introversion. It explains to many things, but one of the biggest things I found is it, ex it explains that. So um, many people feel that it's difficult for them to actually say, am I extroverted or am I introverted? I'm both, right? And so we'll just take a quick example of the three um, so the three is a very extroverted type. The four is a very introverted type. If you're a three with four wing, four with a three wing, you will have this kind of like opposite pulling within you where you need space and yet you really love to be out in the center. So that's a little bit about wings. The last thing maybe I'll just um, offer out there is that wings are also an incredible way to kind of discern if the type that you are thinking you might be, might actually be your type, right? So if you feel, for example, that, oh, I might be a six, but I'm really resonating with the one, well, take a look at the seven and the eight. And if those don't resonate, then perhaps six is not your dominant type. So it's also another way to really help discern what your primary type may be. I think that's really, really helpful. So like for someone like David, who's a six, or he's thinking he's thinking he's a six he can look at wing seven he can look at wing five and be like ah, i actually don't know i kind of resonate more with the nine and the two um potentially finding his center in a one which that's not his situation but just to kind of give people a little example exactly okay exactly cool that's really really helpful we actually figured out i wasn't sure what wing i was i was thinking i was a two wing one um, but after talking with you um, in our first little meeting, we have um, realized that I am a two wing three and it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> makes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of sense, um, which is, yep. it, it's, it's really helpful to understand. So great. So that's wings. And then my last question is, is, that, you know, the Enneagram is, is a self inquiry tool, right? It's a way for us to look inward. What are some other ways that we can kind of bring mindfulness into our relationships and mindfulness into the Enneagram? What are your like, let's just say like top three self-inquiry or tips or tools, ways to be bring mindfulness into our lives as we are moving through the Enneagram or just wanting to even be more more aligned or, or more, um, yeah, or just have those practices. What are some things that we can we can do like starting today, like three things? Such a great question. So one of the first things that come to mind is if we really want to take this self-inquiry um, and this journey of self-discovery and growth seriously, then it is important for us to get feedback on our own behaviors and the way that we're showing up in the world. Because if we're not aware of how we're coming across to others, then it's very difficult to know where to start, right? Um, one of the things that the yoga texts speak about, and I think about this very often, is that 
um, as living beings, we're so we're so lucky. We're we're so fortunate. You know, we have facilities of the body, of the mind, the intelligence. You know, the ego when it's when it's used appropriately. Um, but along with that, there are certain um, you can say conditions that we come with, right? And so that is, we have imperfect senses. You know, there is a tendency for us to make mistakes. You know, we have, there's a tendency to cheat and to be illusioned. You know, those are four things that the yoga texts speak about. And to, to remember that it, it brings forth some humility that perhaps the way in which I'm coming across to others may not be in line with how I think I'm coming across. And to get that feedback is a way to practice humility. So that's one of the first things that comes to mind for me in terms of this journey of self-inquiry. And, you know, to also recognize that I can work towards that. I might not be there now. You know, because to receive feedback, especially from people who are close to us, can be difficult. You know, it's hard. It triggers the ego. But to... to to take steps to do that is very, very helpful. So that's one thing. The other thing that I would also say is to build in time for some introspection, right? And um, ways to do that can be through journaling. It could be through just, you know, taking walks in nature, you know, to just leave all technology, any distractions aside, and to just be in solitude and to be um, in some stillness. And to really be able to access the inner guide from within. Because the inner guide can only speak when it's quiet. Because the inner critic is really loud. And that's what we typically hear, what we respond to, and how we become triggered. But when we really want to access the inner guide, it requires a certain environment in which we'll be able to hear its whisper, because that is how it truly functions. It doesn't scream, it whispers. And then finally, the third thing um, I would suggest or potentially offer to anybody in terms of um, self-growth is to also see, I think we spoke about this in an earlier episode, um, how can we start to create space between stimulus and response, right? Because we do get triggered very easily. You know, it's, it's so unconscious. It happens so quickly. And so to how can we start to recognize what are those things that potentially trigger us and how can I build space? And it can be as simple as, can I start to take two deep breaths before I say or do anything? You know, because in that time, in that space, it can actually allow for the intelligence to come in and say, well, the response you have of like speaking back in a really snarky manner might not actually be helpful. It will feel good in this moment, but it may not actually be helpful to the situation. And to find ways to build that space. So that way, when we, when we do respond to a situation or to a stimulus, we're doing it with great intentionality instead of just caving into, yeah, what might feel good in that moment. Mm 
So the last thing, finally, the last question, we touched on the mindfulness question that we had left from the last episode, but the big, big question that I like to ask all of my guests as we end our time together is, how are we as humans more alike than we are different? Yeah, it's uh, something we forget about very often, but it's something that's just so important to remember. For me, what and how we are most alike is at our core, if we remove all the coverings, including the covering of the ego, at our essence, we are spirit, you know? There is a soul within each and every one of us. And the yoga texts speak about um, some of the characteristics of the soul, and it's something I meditate on a lot, and that is it is full of eternality, it is completely blissful, and it's full of knowledge. And that, at the core of each of us, is what comprises us. It's what powers us. And if we can just tap into that more and more and more and recognize that the Enneagram, and it's something I love about the Enneagram, that this is actually helping us to get to the gateway to begin our spiritual journey, right? It's to bring us to that. It's not to replace our spiritual journey, but it's to bring us to this because the ego is so subtle. You know, we have all of these lenses that cover the ego and we can get so trapped into so desperately wanting these identities that the ego hangs on, hangs on to so dearly to be validated that we forget that they're temporary identities. They're important, but they're temporary. The most important identity is that we're the soul and that we need to feed that rather than to feed the ego. And so if we could tap into that, oh boy, could we truly, truly recognize that we're more alike than different? Absolutely. A true, a true, I said this in the previous episodes with, you know, other guests, a true homecoming, a homecoming to awaken and live into our soul. Um, Fernie Barcelo, a holistic therapist, we talked about alignment a couple of weeks back. And she said something, and, and I feel like if this is the universe telling me, like, you need to start meditating on this idea of a soul. But she said at the end of the day, we're all just souls and or tiny souls in skin suits. <laughs> like, yes. that is, that is who totally. we are. And um, so it's so beautiful. That was, I mean, that was deep. Gosh, <laughs> what a way <laughs> to end the episode with a bang. And, and the Enneagram is, is a tool, a tool to really recognize that eternality, that blissfulness, and the knowledge we all so seek, but we also have. Yeah, it's inherent. It's like it's, like it's our birthright, you know? It's yeah. what we come in with, and nothing can take that away. We forget it. And so we hang on to all these other identities, which, like I said, are important, but they'll go away, but these three will never go away. And that, again, at the essence, one of the other things that we are beings that are meant to serve, you know, and so how can we tap into that spirit and that mood of service to others? I love it. So good. Um, Vryn, where can people find you? Where, what are some offerings that you have? And then um, I know that we had talked about in the last two episodes 
definitely people reading maybe The Road Back to You, mm -hmm. Ian Morgan Cron, Susan Stabile. That's a great place if you want to just kind of get an overview. Hop over to Rousseau and Hudson Enneagram Institute. That's a Absolutely. great marker. Um, what else did we mention? Just meeting with coaches, having consultation calls, and just if you're skeptical or if you're curious, that's what they're there for. They're not here to try to sell you any sort of crazy package. Any that I've talked with, they're, they're really here to just help guide you. So that's another thing. But Rin, for you specific, where can we find you? What's your website? Give a plug. Lay it on us. <laughs> okay, thank you. So yes, um, you can find me on Instagram at illuminate.nyc. So I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-E dot N-Y-C. You can also um, find out a little bit more about me and different offerings in terms of Enneagram coaching, Enneagram consultations, in case you're curious, you've heard these episodes, you'd like to know more, or perhaps you may even feel like you know your type, but after hearing this, you might feel like, but I'm not 100% sure, or I am, but I'd really love to go more nuanced and in-depth about what I can do now that I have this knowledge. So these consultations are really geared to you in, in whichever way, whether it's to find out your type or whether to go deeper into your type. And then um, also I offer ongoing coaching and meditation practices that go along with your Enneagram type. And um, yeah, so my website is www.illuminate.nyc. And maybe the one last thing that I would love to leave all of your listeners with is I am big into intention setting. It is just so important, I feel. And I have been meditating on it a lot. And I came up with just from my own meditation teachers and my own experiences, bad experiences, good experiences, a little um, workbook, really, an intention setting workbook. It's uh, a fillable PDF and it's free. So be happy to offer that in the links and you can download it and hopefully it'll help you with setting some daily intentions. I love that. And you just gave me an idea. So I appreciate that. But yes, all those things I will link in the resources below. I will tag Vren in all of the promo stuff that I like to do. But Vren, this has been so incredible. The fact that you spent so many hours with me doing this, I am so, so, so grateful. Um, this is like a really big ask and um, for you to take time out of your day from your husband and your sweet, sweet toddler to do this is, is really meaningful to me and has brought me so much joy and understanding um, to just how others work in the world and how I move through the world. So I'm grateful for teachers like you who are willing to do this, this work because it's not easy. Um, so I appreciate you so much being here with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for just opening up your time, your heart, and just um, offering the space to speak about it. I love it so much. And it is so nourishing. That's the word that comes to mind to be able to dialogue in such thoughtful ways um, with someone such as yourself. So, so grateful that we are connected and that we've had this time together. Yeah, one thing that I didn't realize that the podcast was going to bring me was this really extended community. 
outside of, you know, my little world here in San Antonio, Texas. And it's really, really cool. So I'm super grateful. I'm grateful for this space too. But until next time, maybe we'll have you come on again if everybody loves this. Um, or if we just feel like it's the right thing to do, we can talk about stress and growth and what we do when we go, where we go in those. <laughs> whenever you would like. Thanks, Bryn. Have a great rest of your day and we will chat very soon. Amazing. You too. I just want to thank everybody for being a part of this series. If you've listened since episode one with Fun Lola and you are listening just right now to the end of the Enneagram series, I just want you guys to know from the bottom of my heart how much I greatly, greatly appreciate this. And if you, I kind of wanted to do a takeaway of the entire series and just to kind of remember to validate others. We all have areas to grow, including ourselves. And until you let someone in, you start to welcome and experience life in a more full, deep, and rich way. You don't have to be alone. So remember, we're all a little bit misunderstood. We all have areas of strengths and we all have areas of growth. And the Enneagram is a tool to help illuminate that. I love you guys. We will talk very soon.